Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, wir vergessen alles, was vorher falsch gemacht war. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. How are you this week, Simon? Yes, mate. Doing well. Doing well, thank you. Do we do we talk about your hangover or do we not? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about it. Like, yeah, don't shout too much. Um, so yeah, uh, last night we were invited over by our new neighbours to join their public viewing in their carport and meet our neighbours. We've had conversations over the garden fence but mm. this was the first sort of social engagement we had and the patriarch of the family Uwe uh, stated before the game that for every goal there would be a shot of schnapps and yeah Germany scored four goals <laughs> so I had my fair share of schnapps feeling a little bit fragile but I've just had some English cheddar on toast which I'm hoping is going to rally me throughout the course of our chat today. Yeah if you hear any funny mouth noises in the background it's because Simon's just gobbing onto a massive chunk of cheese it's a good <laughs> idea I like the idea of sports-based drinking but I guess the problem was in the first half Germany scored two goals quite quickly one after the other which is not not really going to be great if you're taking shots of schnapps yeah that, that caught me a little bit off guard and towards the end of the, end of the game where I was already well on my way the mother of the family poured me a shot and I did a shot with her and then the father came and wanted to like cheers with me and I'd already drunk my shot so he gave me the bottle I had to quickly pour another one and then cheers him and drink that as well so yeah I did do a, more than my normal level of double shotting but yeah it was it was nice I think we made a good impression on the neighbours I think they were all kind of interested by the fact that obviously neither of us are from the area uh, I'm a lot further away than, than my wife is but yeah they were interested in how we ended up here mm. in the suburb so yeah it was nice yeah, it's something to look forward to I hope my neighbours are, are willing to share a glass of schnapps when we meet them I'll find out in August I guess so what about you mate what have you been up to this week? I'm good. I've been quite busy. I've been doing a lot of Deutsch paperwork. It's been most of what I've been doing this week. I applied for a new job and because of that, I'm basically buried under different <laughs> documentation. And one thing I had to do, which was quite interesting, and listeners will know from previous podcasts, we've had a lot to say about German technology and its and its failings, fax machines, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a super positive German technology encounter and what's more mind-blowing was it was a technology encounter with the German government I was so impressed with how it worked (laughs) Um, so um, now that I'm a German citizen you get your German ID card and that's quite important you have to carry it around all the time but it also gives you access to an app that you can download which is the Ausweis app which is the ID card app that allows you when you're dealing online with the government to fill in documents instantly so what the process is is you download an app on your phone and onto your computer okay. and anytime you see a particular symbol on a government website when there's a form to be filled in you take your phone and your phone becomes a card scanner it transfers the information to your laptop which then transfers it to the form and automatically gives every bit of information about you onto this form i was well yeah mm-hmm. skeptical would be like an understatement that's quite skeptical <laughs> and the process to download it wasn't exactly intuitive but i got it on my phone and i got it on the laptop and then i did it and it was done and the thing that i applied for came the next day and i was just like mind blown so <laughs> like, what is this this is not what i've been led to believe is the is the process in germany so yeah like really positive uh, maybe we're turning a corner I don't know I don't there are some definitely some false dawns like I had uh, an appointment this week uh, at the Ordnungsamt uh, the Department of Order uh, which is about as German as it gets in the email confirmation which is already pretty pretty good there was a QR code mm-hmm. and I know from having had to collect my my Alfenholzkarte which is my non-German citizen ID card the QR code was used to to log me in and register so I was thinking okay it's going to be the same procedure I know what I'm doing I scan this and I'm, I'm logged in got into the room and everyone else was looking around for the QR reader and then it all dawned on all of us almost at once there is no QR code reader this is all just a sham the lie didn't hurt too much my appointment went quickly so no complaints really it's again that segmented aspect of German society from city to city state to state you can get like almost a completely different environment that you're dealing with Mm different uh, attitudes it's the fact it's not uniform is the thing that catches you out i think i'm going to take yeah. this pleasant experience and run with it and and hope that that's the spirit yeah i've got to otherwise i'd go a bit insane <laughs> in last week's episode we gave praise to the birthday boy dirk Nowitzki. happy birthday again there dirk and talked about the Hof and how he and he alone is responsible for the unification of Berlin, no matter what the Bundesamt for historical accuracy facts out to our request for freedom of information. We know what's what, 
and nothing will stop the wheels of this propaganda machine. The wheels are emotion. Jump in my car. Become the true survivor. It's a real good feeling. Hang on a second. Flying on the wings of tenderness with all the right moves to reach any kind of love at all. Yo, yo, hold on. This has to stop. These are clearly David Hasselhoff songs. Jump in my car. True survivor. It's a real good feeling. Don't ask why I know all the names of his songs. Flying on the wings of tenderness. All the right moves. Any kind of love at all. All Hoff songs. Simon, okay. like, you need no, to stop. Okay, this you got is getting me. ridiculous. You're right. Those are all, indeed, Hoff songs. I got lost in myself. I apologise. It will never happen again. Sorry. Good. I expect not. Anyway. It's fine. Moving on. This week on Decades From Home, we are asking you to open your eyes and find your inner night rocker. Nah, 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 that's right. Hang on, stop. You're still doing it. Now you're doing his album names. That's like- right. The Night Before Christmas sings America looking for freedom. Crazy for you. All Hoff albums. Resistance is futile. The Hoff lives. The Hoff lives. Amul Hoch. Amul Hoch. Amul Apologies, listener. I'm just going to uh, kick the seven colours of shit out of Simon. Bear with me. Sorry about that, everyone. Fucking hell. It seems Simon has gone full Hoff and is in need of a nap to calm down and wash the Hoff off. He gets like this sometimes, honestly, man. I'm sorry you had to hear all of that ridiculousness. It's not what we want to put out. You deserve better, listeners. I personally apologise. Okay. It looks like Simon's coming round. Who knows? It turns out, though, that Simon was heading in a valid enough direction here, though. Looking at his notes, if I flick through them, he wanted to talk about one of the most iconic and cited moments at the Berlin Wall. The famous JFK quote. And say it with me, listeners... Ich bin ein Berliner, which took place on June 26, 1963, and our launch day for this episode, number 29, is... Drumroll, please. June 26th. To summarise quickly, the President of the Free World, high off his tits on a mixture of codeine, Demerol and methadone for pain, Ritalin, a now off-prescribed attention deficit disorder stimulant, metprobamate and delibrium for anxiety, barbiturates for sleep, thyroid hormone, and injections of blood derivative, gamma globulin, misspoke and called himself a jam donut. If that's not an iconic moment in world history, then I don't know what is. What is more interesting, though, is that this idea that this was a moment of embarrassment is misplaced. There is a widespread belief that Kennedy made a mistake by saying, Ich bin ein Berliner. By not leaving out the indefinite article Ein, he supposedly changed the meaning of the sentence from the intended I am a citizen of Berlin to I am a Berliner. Berliner being a type of German pastry similar to a jelly jam donut. Amusing Germans throughout the city. While the phrase Ich bin ein Berliner can be understood as having a double meaning, it is neither wrong to use it the way Kennedy did, nor was it embarrassing. According to some grammar texts, the indefinite article can be omitted in German when speaking of an individual's profession or origin, but is in any case used when speaking in a figurative sense. Furthermore, although the word Berliner has traditionally been used for a jelly donut in the north, west and southwest of Germany, it was not used at the time in Berlin itself or the surrounding region, where the usual word is Pfannkuchen. There's that pfft sound again. <laughs> Literally, pancake. Therefore, no Berliner would mistake Berliner for a donut. One more slightly odd German thing that happens on June 26th, I hear you beg. Today is also Ratcatcher's Day, commemorating the saga of the Pied Piper of Hamelin, the 26th of June being the date cited by the Brothers Grimm in their writings. An incredible testament to the concept of paying people for the work they have done, the Pied Piper of Hamelin was a rat catcher hired by the town to lure rats away with his magic pipe, which he did, drowning them all like a good rat catcher. When the citizens refused to pay for his services as promised, he retaliated in a very death or glory kind of way by using his instrument's magical power on their children, leading them away as he had the rats to drown. Lovely, the Pied Piper has become such a solid piece of revenge culture that he even warrants his own definition in Merriam-Webster. Pied Piper 1. A charismatic person who attracts followers 2. A musician who attracts mass audiences 3. A leader who makes irresponsible promises Boris? Boris who? No, never mind. Moving on. Simon? Simon? Are you alright? Nah, still nothing. Moving on. The European Championships are going on at the moment, and at time of release, the first games of the round of 16 will be taking place. So, good luck to Belgium, France, Italy, Germany, Portugal, Spain, England, Wales, Russia, Netherlands, Ukraine, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Sweden, delete as appropriate. As you rightly know by now, even if this is your very first episode, we are English. Different types of English, but English for sure. Being an English football fan is not always easy, especially on Friday night. Our reputation the world over as football fans is atrocious, and large swathes of our fans 
fan base do very little to change this and even where it is a badge of honour. Hooligan culture may not be what it once was in the UK but there is little doubt a not insignificant number of England fans are all about getting shit-faced in the streets, getting in a scrap and mouthing off at cops and their rivals. It is what the tournament is all about. The games themselves being a passive sideshow serving more as a guidance for how angrily to drink and fight and how proud to be of the team. In fact, now some fans have turned against the team itself because of a gesture that players have begun to display at the start of uh, every game. This is the famous taking of the knee, which occurs just before or moments before kickoff. A a small uh, minority of fans have been booing the England team when they do this gesture, uh, claiming it is for political reasons. The fact that fans boo our own team for making a gesture which has been described as anti-racist or in support of minority groups is actually not that surprising. Players have come out in various ways to talk about their feelings on the topic. Uh, One such player is Tyrone Mings, who plays in the Defence for England, and he has stated this gesture is to raise awareness and educate. He went on to say the underlying action is not politically motivated, but instead a peaceful and powerful act that is a personal choice. Players like Mings have had to add that second part because some England fans feel that it has gone on long enough or it's a bit too much or that it's Marxist. Because, you know, millionaire footballing teenagers are all about a political and economic theory where a society has no classes. Every person within the society works for common good and class struggle is theoretically gone. Yeah, all about that. Okay, I've mentioned Marx- Marxism and now Simon is awake again. How are you feeling, buddy? A little groggy. But nothing a bit of philosophical football can't round off. So what are these Dick's fans saying? Well, Jordan Henderson, the uh, midfielder for Liverpool in England, said, I think it shows that if there's still people booing because we're standing together against racism, then there really still is a problem and we've still got to fight it and stand together on that. It shows even more that we have to keep going, keep fighting it. From our side, it's about being together and doing what we think is right. And that's what we feel is right. Marxist! Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for a possible reason why the fans are booing, there is one place to go, one source of information, and that is The Sun. Of course, The Sun. The newspaper that is, not the gassy giants. Well, they're both pretty gassy. Again, according to The Sun, the most common complaints from supporters revolve around the perception of it being a political gesture. The players lecturing them and a perceived association with the Black Lives Matter movement. Andrew, a fan from Lincoln who booed, told BBC Radio 1, quote, booing is a way football fans can communicate dissatisfaction. He added that he sees the knee as, quote, an identity politics agenda that focuses on black people and skin colour, when as far as I'm concerned, we are all England fans, regardless of colour. A Twitter user who supported the booing stated, if I want to watch politics, I'd switch on Westminster Live. Oh, how angry should I get in this section, Simon? <laughs> yeah, pretty angry. It's, it's really insulting. Like, oh, I just fucking hate people like this. I f- honestly, it's the same shit over and over again. And it's the same shit. It's not just Britain either. You see it in every country. These people who yeah. have like a string of arguments they're found on an angry message board it just feels like the the cut and paste argumentation like this whole like oh why we're focusing on identity politics there's no such thing as skin color we're all in this together and you're like if you're so knowledgeable on the topic just show all the reports that have come out in the last 10 years about how race impacts your education health outcomes your employment how you interact with the police like any number of things and this is like government studies this isn't this isn't hard to find this information there is a clear issue here that needs to be addressed but also the thing that boils my piss every time i hear one of these morons given their position is they're exactly the same fucking people who shout about freedom of speech whenever some racist fucking dickhead Mm -hmm. wants to post a stupid fucking joke on twitter or whatever or when fucking lawrence fox pipes up with some inane fucking tweet they're like oh freedom of speech freedom of speech you're always blocking us. it's cancel culture you're canceling us and as soon as someone like a celebrity does something like that like footballers do that it's all about how they're having politics rammed down the throat and you're just like well you can't have it both ways you really can't i just don't know where these people get off to be honest if i if i want to watch politics i'd switch on westminster live do you know what you don't want to watch politics I guarantee that person hasn't watched a single bit of politics, goes out and votes on his emotions, as many people do. Totally legit, if that's how you want to vote. But don't, like, pretend you're some kind of, like, oh, I'm I'm watching PMQs every week. It's just horseshit. Anyway, sorry, I think I've vented... Sorry, Simon, I just like, it just, oh, it just drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's definitely a valid thing to get upset about. Like, our own fans are booing our team. Uh, it's hard not to be 
upset by that. The sort of mm. the base argument is: is the team going to do better if you boo them? Uh, and I think the answer to that is a resounding no. So if you are doing that, then you're not a fan of the team. You're a fan of your mm. own political identity and ideology, and that's what you're apparently rallying against by booing. So it's just a, a cycle of bullshit. Every November 11th, or the run-up to every November 11th, Premier League football teams put poppies on their shirt for the Remembrance Sunday. If you don't know what Remembrance Sunday is, it's it's the day that in Britain where we remember the war dead from I think all wars at this point but usually it focuses on sort of wars in the 20th century and specifically the second world war that's usually the imagery first and second world war is usually the imagery and the poppy itself comes from the first world war like that's a overtly political statement it is a political statement at this point you know like especially if you're in a country mm-hmm. uh, if you're dealing with um, Ireland like it's a very political statement to be celebrating the war dead as heroes when not all people who fought in all wars have been heroes especially on the British side so you've got to appreciate that but I try and button my lip when when that comes up but uh, they're the same people who will buy go out and buy a poppy or they're the same people who will uh, lambast players who choose not to wear a poppy on their football shirt that's a side of it as well is we've got fifa for god's sake a massively corrupt entity if you're talking about politics like there's the politics politics is in football it's always been in football i mean an interesting side note on the poppy which i think we spoke about before is that it isn't just about remembering our Mm. dead either it's not just about british soldiers Uh, a percentage of the the revenue gathered by that charity is also given to german organizations that support veterans it is remembering all dead actually i came across an amazing tweet it's it's possibly the, the best thing i've ever seen on twitter by a country mile it was a tweet just after the scotland game because uh, scotland was uncertain about whether they would join the england players and taking the knee before the game and ultimately they decided that they would which i thought was a really a beautiful gesture and i think when there's a real difference between how England sees this discussion, how Scotland sees this discussion, I think there are there are racist, racist Scottish people, there are xenophobic Scottish people, but by and large, Scotland really does identify itself as outwardly looking, positive, friendly mm. country, uh, and its fans are, are welcomed. Like I know there was a lot of like damage to London after the Scotland fans had had, had been in the city for most of the day on Friday, but like that kind of happens when you have mass groups of people and it's, I think that's more of a British problem than it is a Scottish or English thing but Scotland fans generally mm. are welcomed they're really quite pleasant as long as we're not playing England they're generally quite pleasant mm. to spend time with and I like that's one of the, the one of the reasons uh, Scotland's like a, a second team for is because it's it is just fun it's like infectious <laughs> the, the Scotland fans um, applauded and, and helped drown out the small amount of boos there were on Friday night Musa Okawonga who is a podcaster for uh, Stadio and he's written a few books uh, he's an author he's he's like really interesting good follow on twitter and he tweeted he tweeted out uh, just after the game on on friday whatever the result of this game the true victory came pre-match when england converted scotland to marxism <laughs> <laughs> and i was like spot on dude totally spot on like it's it's exactly that you know it's ridiculous argument about about it's Marxist or it's all bleeding in from all this like there's lots of information and you can choose to believe what you want to believe and it it just feels a little bit yeah a little bit ridiculous if you ask me if you don't support mm-hmm. them taking the knee just shut up you don't have to do anything you don't have to boo you just yeah. you can just shut up and like move on I mean because of this making it political argument at the start of the 2020-21 season the English football clubs agreed that rather than kneeling in solidarity with Black Lives Matter they would kneel in support of Uh, a new no room for racism campaign Uh, however a number of clubs still continue to display uh, the black lives matter logo prominently in their stadiums throughout the season so there's still those with anti-marxist beef set to boo their own players um, yeah, I'm sure that'll help us splutter our way into the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think if you you want to support the team, you've got to get behind them. And ultimately, I know Black Lives Matter has become sort of a hyper-political statement. There's a lot of racist people who don't want that to be a motif of anything. Racism's still a problem in the UK. It's still a problem in, in Germany. You can turn on the TV and still see, see people in blackface or people doing like uh, slanty-eyed Chinese impressions on like national television. 
public broadcasters mm. and such. Just to sort of give a German perspective on this that I think is interesting at the moment, there's a big discussion about when Germany plays Hungary, whether to get the Allianz Arena, which is famous for for being able to change its lighting system around the stadium. When 1860 Munich play, they had it in blue, and when Bayern plays, they have it in red. But there's a campaign now to get them to put the LGBT colours on the stadium when they play Hungary because yeah. of Orban's, the Orban, the leader of Hungary, his incredibly anti-LGBT uh, laws that he's put into place and his anti-LGBT rhetoric. And I think, and, and interestingly, there's a similar debate. There's politicians coming out, there's prominent people coming out going, oh, you shouldn't turn this into politics. Notably, Manuel Neuer had the captain's armband was an LGBT captain's armband that he's been using uh, in support mm-hmm. of LGBTQ community. And they're, they're pointing out, oh, this is political, it's politically motivated. And I'm like, fucking yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Like, you, you, there's a massive statement. Orban's a homophobe and he's a racist. And he's, and he's an authoritarian. Yeah. I don't even think we go far enough. I think any time any world leader from, from a nation that believes these people should be free should wear a pin badge with the LGBT flag on it. When they're, they're taking photos, when all bands come in to visit, they should have the hungry flag, the flag of the nation he's visiting, and the LGBT flag. It should be sticking it to him at every opportunity because it's disgusting. That's, that's part of it. You can make a real statement about the beliefs of your country through these sorts of things. And I think it's like, I don't see why that's a problem. More freedom for more people. I don't see why that should be an issue protect vulnerable communities don't see why that's an issue and if taking the knee has any impact on the way people think then that's ultimately a positive but um, uh, again uh, you've got me on my soapbox so I'll, I'll step off it but it's a valid thing to be on the soapbox about man this is some real bullshit the Hungarian government mm. is, is putting out and yeah there is it's, it's a mm. dark road ahead for the culture um, when that's being dictated by the government yeah. I think the dangerous thing is when and it's it's when you have politicians talking about we shouldn't do it because it'll upset relations with Hungary and I'm like nah like you don't moderate your beliefs to accommodate insane backward ideas of other other countries you know like sorry that's part of our society and I don't see why we should hide that because it might upset some two-bit dictator or moderate our beliefs because a bunch of like angry drunken football fans want to complain about marxism i think in all honesty you shouldn't really complain about something you can't explain anyway (laughs) (laughs) moving on So whilst we have the chance to talk about football and making this political, anyone who watched the Germany-France game at the start of the tournament will know where this segue is leading towards. Did not go as planned, is how Greenpeace apologised for the injuries caused by a protester who parachuted into the stadium before the game started. That's right. Terrifying footage available of those moments where two people were injured when the activist lost control of his powered paraglider, which had a motor attached to his back, and hit overhead camera wires attached to the stadium roof. Fans ducked as he careered towards the spectator area, narrowly missing the stands and demolishing technical equipment before crashing in front of the German penalty area. Debris fell on the field and the main grandstand, just missing the French manager Didier Deschamps. Two German players were first to approach the protester before he was led away by security services. UEFA called the action reckless and dangerous and said law authorities will take the necessary action. Now, as well as the injured fans, Didier Deschamps, the French coach and living legend, has to move out the way of some falling dangerous debris did you see the video i think you actually know you did you sent me the link from the focus article with the video yeah. in it we only caught a little bit of it as he landed on the t- on the tv but that yeah. video was like oh my good god like it was terrifying it was so fast it was it looked so close from that angle of, of someone on their phone in the stands yeah the the footage of the german broadcaster didn't really do justice to how dangerous it really was yeah it was no. terrifying absolutely terrifying yeah, i'd be scared if i was in the stadium so bavaria's leader marcus surda said the incident would be properly investigated reassuring quote this was no trivial <laughs> offence <laughs> yeah again thank you well, yeah, no, no, and yeah. he went on uh, to tell Bavarian Radio it will be dealt with very thoroughly this was a clear violation wow he's like Mr Obvious right <laughs> yeah He's not straying from the script whatsoever. <laughs> Munich police said on Wednesday that they're investigating various potential violations of the Criminal Code and Aviation Act. Quotes, the pilots injured two men during the landing approach. The injured were given medical care by the emergency services and taken to hospitals for further care, police said in a statement. I can't help but think 
these people have never watched a football game before or at least have never seen a football game in Munich because anyone would have told them parachuting into the stadium be aware that there are camera cables running the length and breadth of the stadium from the is it the Hawkeye cam is that what the, the bird's eye camera I can't remember what they yeah, call I'm not sure it, what it's but... called in, in, in the Bundesliga but yeah Hawkeye is mm. what we would call it in, in, in Blighty it's a lovely bit of innovation I think it's from the 2006 World Cup I think that's the first time we saw it but it's like it allows you to see game in it from a totally new perspective they had no idea that there would be cables in, on this projected path to the pitch but yeah it was totally harrowing it was harrowing. I mean and everyone is upset about it a member of the surging Green Party condemned Greenpeace's action by saying, quote, it was life-threatening and it was only pure luck that nothing more happened. Greenpeace has done great damage to its reputation. Greenpeace has apologised for the stunt, which it admitted had gone wrong. <laughs> kind of, that's the least mm. they can say. Uh, it said the protest action was aimed at urging the carmaker Volkswagen, uh, a Euro 2020 sponsor, to stop selling diesel and petrol cars. Greenpeace also later added this was not the plan at all. Quote, the pilots had wanted to let a balloon hover in the stadium but had to then do an emergency landing due to the fact that the hand gas control of the parachute failed. That's the problem, isn't it? Like, no they, no one knows what, what it was about. All they ended up doing was, was talking about how they totally screwed it up. So whatever message they had has, has been lost in the milieu from the terrifying footage and the near tragedy that could have happened. And the speed he was going, he could have, he could have really injured someone, possibly killed someone. Like, if he'd hit had the he crowd, hit them, he, would have, he could have easily killed, like, 20 people. Like, just a line of people would have been mowed down. He's probably, mm-hmm. what, 80 kilos at least. But with the engine on his back, that's got to be another 100. So, I mean, this, this pendulum mm-hmm. of near 200 kilos uh, traveling up, I guess, 120 kilometers an hour when he was coming in, it was, mm. yeah, would have been death for sure. Yeah, easily, easily. So, I mean, the internet was, of course, a flutter uh, with a lot of the normal horrified reactions. A lot of people very thankful that more people were not killed or hurt. What also followed was the raft of people being critical of using an oil-powered machine to protest oil. That's a fair um, argument. <laughs> it is a fair argument. Many people are seemingly willing to write off the entire ethos of Greenpeace because there's one protester had the gall to use oil in his protest. And thinking about it, it's incredible that he was not killed, the protester himself. And we have a quote here, that due to the Greenpeace banner, the marksman did not intervene. Uh, so that's from uh, Joachim Herrmann, Bavaria's interior minister from the state. Oh shit, I hadn't thought so, I mean, there about are, that, yeah. There were snipers. Yeah. yeah. There were snipers on the stadium. Yeah. And wow. they saw Greenpeace on this guy's parachute and were like, okay, we won't murder him. There's an amazing bit of footage. It's not footage, there's a photograph. And this is from the, I think it's the Super Bowl. And it's the sniper nests in the Super, mm-hmm. Super Bowl because of how many obviously important people are around you don't think about that when you go into a football match no. or you go into like a Champions League final or you go to watch like a major tournament but there's a lot of dignitaries there and there's a lot of security precautions like yeah I hadn't even thought about this <laughs> yeah man that's terrifying it is really bad and Joachim Herman, the interior minister continued but if the police had come to a different conclusion that they might have been dealing with a terrorist attack the aviator may well have paid with his life there's a bit of a hot tip here for anyone considering breaking the law or doing something really terrible slap on a Greenpeace badge and you'll be gifted a few precious bonus seconds to go about your plan I, yeah I'm all for protest I, like, I, I'm totally I think it's great but it's part of the risk you run I guess I'm, I don't know I just think it's I think it's just badly thought out it felt so much like the people who planned this have no idea about what happens in football stadiums and no thought mm. about what could happen. Well, I mean, this guy has previous. He's done stuff like this oh, before. Really? Yeah, this isn't his first time protesting in this way. And I'm not sure how much influence Greenpeace have over him. He seems like a bit of a renegade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like totally wild. And obviously this this part of what Greenpeace does, isn't it? You know, it's but I, I can't help but think it's only it's only hurt their hurt the cause. Mm. It's only hurt their reputation rather than bring people's attention to obviously important climate related issues you know but at the same time if, i think if you do want to protest volkswagen there are better ways to protest volkswagen than the, the germany game mm. um they're just a sponsor uh, of this tournament whereas like if you really wanted to like protest at their factory i mean i do get it like most of the sponsors for major tournaments are unethical groups list off the sponsors of Euro 2021 and tell me which ones aren't doing something unethical I'll be surprised I totally get it I totally get it but at the same time 
you throw a stone at a sponsor in the Euro 2021 and you'll hit someone who isn't taking their, their corporate social responsibility as seriously as they might like to pretend they do. So now that Nick has thoroughly lambasted all the sponsors at, uh, at Euro 2020... Hear, my, hear me roar! <laughs> <laughs> There's a question here I have for you, Nick. How much value do you think you could wipe off a company's market value? A fraction of a percentage point at best? I don't think I have much impact. I reckon less than a percentage point. I think like 25, 25 cents. cents. A okay. euro max, maybe. If you just stop buying Haribo. <laughs> yeah. If I stop buying Haribo, Haribo is going to have a serious deficit in their, uh, in, in their financial records. But Well, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but I mean, you are not Cristiano Ronaldo. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> You said you said I was shattered this illusion live on the record here and now. This has gone on long enough. If you were Cristiano Ronaldo, you can do a whole load of damage. His removal of two Coca-Cola bottles during a press conference at the European Championship after the Hungary game has coincided with a four billion dollar fall in the share price of the drinks company. Four billion dollars is the answer if you are Ronaldo. It's not a small amount of money. No. And it was within like minutes of him having done it. <laughs> this is where you just need to instantly short the company when you see him do that. But like, oh, I can make some money here. I, I loved it though. It was the look on his face when he saw the Coke bottles. The just look of yeah. utter disgust. Because he's sort of renowned as this health, super healthy guy. And even at 36, he's, he's fitter than I will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had his top off yesterday after the game. And it was just like, oh. I wish he wouldn't. <laughs> you are chiseled from some oh, he... stone I've never met before. Yeah, wow. he really is a, a, a fine figure of a man. He is. The Portugal captain is, as Nick mentioned, a renowned health wizard, uh, staying ever young and ever fit, making it clear to what he thinks about the caramel-coloured soft drink. He shifted the bottle of Coca-Cola away from him during a press conference in Budapest and then held up a bottle of water and declared in Portuguese, Agua! It, there's two things that I liked about our paragraph was that your pronunciation of Budapest is excellent. Uh, Budapest. Yeah, was, yeah I'm going <laughs> to pronounce it incorrectly because I'm a heathen. But it's, I, I really want to know what a health wizard is. <laughs> <laughs> Ronaldo's one of them. He's getting younger. Benjamin Button. Because if he's if he's a health wizard, maybe I can I can visit him and he can help me out. It'd be like use your magic on me. He might just go, Nah, you're you're past it, mate. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but... I think that's what he would say. <laughs> what are you nodding for? Like, oh god, <laughs> see all these uh, fucking young people. Honestly, Jesus <laughs> Christ, you're only like a year or so younger than me. Maybe he would just pelt you with bottles of agua. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say drink this, you idiot. Okay, yeah. yes, Mister Ronaldo, no problem. <laughs> So yeah, Coca-Cola is one of the official sponsors of the tournament, and I bet they are not too thrilled. The share price dropped from $56.10 to $55.22, almost immediately, uh, a 1.6% dip. And the market value of Coca-Cola went from $224 billion uh, to $238 billion, a drop of four. Just, just for a little context on the on the drop in money, I think a lot of people got quite angry because they were like, well, you know, in context, it isn't that much and companies prices fluctuate uh, every day and i think a dip of like a billion every day for companies of this size and sh sure enough when you look at the history of, of the shares of coca-cola over the last year the dip doesn't really really manifest itself very much and it's the price of coca-cola is as high as it's ever been but it's i think it's the speed with which the drop occurred instantly after he did it as soon as it became known on online it was that impact it must be nice to be ronaldo that you know that anything you do will suddenly become damaging to large corporations well, i mean this is the new age of celebrities and obviously the person i think of when sort of market manipulation through through action is elon musk mm. uh, a tweet from him can quadruple the value uh, of, a, of a novelty cryptocurrency or it can shatter mm. the investment opportunity that many people are staking a lot of money on yeah uh, with bitcoin so i mean it is a dangerous path in many ways that as a single individual who's not necessarily tied to what they're affecting can have dramatic market value uh, being created off it. So, I mean, if you had, let's say, uh, yeah, Messi, who is, of course, one of the faces of Pepsi, uh, like if he tweeted, like it would affect the, pro the value of, of any share in Argentina and Spain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, you can manipulate the market through celebrities which is mm. 
uh, definitely a dangerous thing. Obviously, Ronaldo gets a lot of a lot of stick because he's he's not shy about how good he is at the sport, and he is mm. and has been for a very long time one of the be- best players, if not the best player in the world. He kept changing positions with Messi, but like if you look at his statistics for how many goals he scored, he's the top goal scorer in most of the leagues he's ever played in. He's the highest goal scorer at the European Championships of all time. He's been successful wherever he's gone. He is very good and he knows it. And I think certainly for British audiences that don't like it, like they'd prefer him to be meek. Like you can imagine the British Cristiano Ronaldo being like sort of, oh no, I'm not that good. You know, there's players who are better than me. Oh, I wouldn't be that good if it wasn't for my teammates. Whereas Ronaldo's like, even in, Mm. in a celebration, which is, it's very much look at me. I am a football god. People get their backs up because he's not shy about telling people how good he is. So yeah, yeah. I, I wish I'd drunk more water as a child. I drink a lot now uh, as a grown man because I I understand a little bit about how these things work. But yeah, if, if a few hundred kids around the world don't drink coke color again because of it, then Well, I was fantastic. thinking about what, what German drinks that could occur with. Like You, you have a German <laughs> drink that's very popular, Mesomix or Spezi. Meso mix is yeah. a mix of Sprite, Fanta, and Coke, whereas Spitzi is just a mix of sort of a Coke kind of drink and an orange yeah. drink. And honestly, it's my favourite sugary beverage. I don't really drink a lot of sugary beverages, but like my top one is Spitzi every time. I love it. I think it's it's really really nice. I'd say Radler usually, but I don't think Radler technically classifies as a as <laughs> a soft drink as it is alcoholic. Not in the UK, no, but no. I don't think it counts Shandy, but here it's definitely a soft drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I was like thinking, what would happen if uh, a Tony Cross or a Thomas Muller moved the uh, the bottles of Mezzo mix off the table or the bot- bottles of Spitzi? Actually, I don't think he would. I think he'd bring them closer into the screen because there is a lot of, a lot of like pride over these carbonated sort of soft drinks that they have like these uh domestic german soft drinks that you don't get anywhere else every now and again you see on twitter an english person who's been to germany like asking coca-cola uk like why do we not have mezzo mix mm. in the uk but because it is it's great i mean you can make your own version it's called a muddy puddle <laughs> uh, is the name for the drink uh, in a cocktail book but yeah orange juice lemonade and coke and it looks like a muddy puddle but it tastes oh, very much gorgeous. like mezzo mix so yeah. yeah, anyone in the UK who's never had a Mesomix want to try one if you've got those three ingredients at home you can make your own Muddy Puddle slash Mesomix you too can be German <laughs> <laughs> so I mean at the other end of the spectrum some players have taken this fiasco with a bit more humour so one good example is Scotland's John McGinn he made a jovial reference to the incident on uh, Thursday while McGinn casually mused near Cork <laughs> uh, yeah for uh, anyone that doesn't understand any Scottish is there no coke um, yeah, I guess yeah. is the translation of a near cork. There you go. <laughs> Our Scottish listeners can berate me. I've tried my best. How dare they? I think that was pretty solid. I, I, I lived there I, for I nine years. Out, came out, I was panicked when I saw it. Gonna, I was ready to jump in and uh, change it, but no, no, it was perfect. His uh, statement was pretty amusing. But we think for sure that the winner of this is Andrei Yarmolenko, who went one better. <laughs> Definitely. So Ukraine secured a 2 uh, 1 win over North Macedonia, and the West Ham United winger scored for the second game in a row and was making an appearance in front of the World Press for having earned the Man of the Match award. And Yarmolenko reacted to the bottles by saying with a grin, can I do something? I saw Ronaldo doing this. I want to move the Coca-Cola bottles here and I want to move the beer here. Coke and Heineken, please get in touch. <laughs> so I wonder how much Yarmolenko affected Heineken buying practices in the Ukraine. I'd, li- I'd like to hope he has, but yeah, I think... I think it's that kind of sense of humour that you really want to see. It's All in all, it's kind of a, a ridiculous news story that's come out of the European Championships, but I have that kind of reaction is always positive. There was also mm. the Russia coach who just instantly opened, and it was impressive, he opened the Coke bottle with the other Coke bottle, he opened it and started drinking it, and I think his assistant or one of the players was like, oh, did you not see Ronaldo? And the Russia coach was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I like Coke, and he's sort of <laughs> necking it, you're like totally drinking it down. Yeah, I can't see us having the same kind of impact on decades from home if we start lambasting various brands. But it's only episode twenty nine, mate. There's time. <laughs> I like your optimism. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Three stories about football. Three. Yeah, we have football fever, and nothing is going to quench this thirst. Episode 29 is shaping up very much to be one for us. Hasselhoff, football, we are smashing through our favourite topics. 
In for a penny, in for a pound. One final topic for this week's episode, and we're going to talk about the one thing that maybe can quench this th- football thirst, a lovely cold beer. Ask anyone what they know about German culture, and someone will mention beer. It's a cultural touchstone. Beer is ubiquitous, but it's not just any beer. Frequently, what beer you drink or even have access to is determined by which part of the country you live in. Some areas, for example my neck of the woods, Franconia, seem to have breweries on every street, to the point that going into a bar in Nürnbergerland can create a deep sense of decision paralysis. Faced with a menu of 20 different beers, it can be a difficult task just to decide which one to order. That's it. I'm just going to have to buckle down and try them all. Bring me my drinking bib. <laughs> Do you have a drinking bib? <laughs> if I'm if I want to have 20 bibs, I'm going to need a bib at the end of it, I think, yeah. <laughs> I thought a bucket would be more useful. Hands-free, mate, bibs. I didn't appreciate until I moved to Augsburg how much beer is part of Franconian and, and Nuremberg life, or the Nuremberger land life. I'd lived there for so long, I just took it as read that everywhere had as many breweries, and then moving to Augsburg, they have a few breweries, uh, they have a, uh, the Haas of Brauerei, mm. which, is, which is okay, but honestly, when I came to visit you a few a few months ago, I stopped in at a, a Getränkmarkt uh, to just because I was waiting and I had nothing to do and 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 you were you were busy so I was just like killing time and it wasn't until I walked through the doors that I remembered oh I'm in Franconia and I was just like fill my boots <laughs> as I like, get all the beers that I can't get anywhere else because there's just some beers even though they're German beers you can't get in Augsburg some of the better beers you just can't get and honestly going to a Getränkmarkt here is like it's a little bit depressing. Because you turn up and it's just got standard brands. Paulana, mm-hmm. Oettinger, Becks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you've got like local breweries, Tegensee, which is a really good one. Oh, Tegensee is a good one, yeah. But like it's that's what you're relying on and the rest are kind of eh, meh. I don't drink beer that often, so if I'm going to buy beers, then I want one that's like the best. I want the best of the best. If you're a new arrival in Deutschland, it's almost impossible to get a bad beer. And I've been here a long time and I know of only one beer that is practically undrinkable. Not a bad statistic when you think about it. Is it Spalter? Damn you, Spalter. Oh, maybe it's two beers now. Now it's Lambsbroy. And every time I see someone holding a Lambsbroy yeah. on Twitter or on Facebook or showing a photo on a WhatsApp group going, oh, I've got this beer. It's really nice. And it's a Lambsbroy. I'm like, it's not nice. It's the worst <laughs> beer. It just tastes so bad. It tastes like negative beer. That's what I feel like when I'm drinking it. I'm like, I need, I need to get a beer just to get back to normal. Like it's so, it's so dry and like boring, and the label's boring. They've got like a cool symbol, but the but, like it's, oh, I haven't, I have no time for. Spalter just tastes like you're drinking a pint of sugar. It, it, it's the headache. Like one of the things I love about German beer is if you stick with a beer, there's a good chance it's not gonna completely destroy your next day. Spalter is the only beer I've had where I had two and I woke up with a hangover. And Spalter means to split, uh, Spalten. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the name definitely <laughs> Ironically. split my head. Hey, pun. Oh, but I have a fondness. <laughs> I have a fondness for it because it was one of the first beers that I was chugging down when I moved to to Germany. It was one of the first ones that that was readily available. But you're right. Like once you get past Spalter and Lambsbroi, that Germany is your is your oyster. You know. <laughs> Part of the reason that German beer receives such high praise is the long-standing beer purity law the Reinheitsgebot, which has been continued in one form or another for over half a millennium. Originally a Bavarian law since its introduction in 1516, it's been gradually adopted by all states. In order to use the name beer, German brewers must use only four ingredients, barley, malt, hops, water and yeast. The result, wonderfully, is great beer. Germans are rightly proud of this law and most breweries label their beer with Bier nach dem Reinheitsgebot gebraut, brewed to the purity law. It's not all sunny up plans though. Despite the longevity of the law, it's often been challenging for restricting creativity. Limiting the ingredients, the argument goes, means that German brewers are unable to keep up with the global trends in beer making. Only five years ago, German brewers voted to revise it. This argument has always seemed rather hollow, given that there are so many varieties of beer already available. Perhaps that's the Bavarian in me after all. The Free State has often been the champion of this purity law. The Bavarians made nationwide adoption a precondition of joining the unification of Germany in 1871. And after the Berlin Wall fell, it fought a 10-year legal battle to ensure the Reinheitsgebot continued with minimal changes. Yes, before you ask, the Hof was party to these negotiations. I think the craft brewing craze, like, it's a funny thing because when I was in America, and you'll have seen it when you were in America, craft beer is the big thing. And certainly when I was growing up, America was seen as the land of, like, crap beer 
Budweiser and stuff like that. And it was often people who were mostly British people who didn't really know anything about America complaining about the beers that they had available to them as if they were the only American beers. What I found when I was in the US on both coasts was that like the beer culture is it's insane like there's some really amazing beers and there's a lot of innovation but like they had things like blueberry vitamin mm. which just would not it wouldn't be allowed no. to be sold as beer basically it would be, have a, a ridiculous name or something like that i can understand that the arguments that we should change it or it's an outdated law but i'm always wary when people are like let's change the standards and we'll make it better because they never make it better and frequently they make it worse the whole time i lived in the states there are a lot of good beers there's no denying that and especially where i was living in the pacific northwest there's a, a really good number of independent brewers producing good product but it did seem that their main motivation was to see how many hops they could get into a beer it was just that was the, yeah, the yeah, invention yeah. level like how hoppy can we make this beer and i hate hoppy beers so mm. i was perpetually disappointed by my eight dollar beer and i was always kind of craving something mm. that was just a bit more honest for lack of a better word there is this mm. barrier to entry in, in american beer culture because any restaurant or bar you go to you can get a budweiser or a miller gold or maybe a natty light or a pbr for three dollars and that's the standard price of a pint yeah domestic exactly. domestic beers the call but it, anything yeah. you want that's special or import you're paying more than double also we have to point out that the official beer sponsor of the england team at, at the euros do you know who our official beer sponsor no, is i have no idea bud light for fuck's sake hey i'm not here bad word about bud light it's not a good beer but it has a purpose and it is, it's a solid breakfast beer for a start, right? <laughs> if you're starting drinking early, like 3% is what you want. It's a solid on that front. And it's a beer you can drink all day and you never really get very drunk at all. I remember many evenings or, or day drinking sessions where I've been drinking Bud Light just as a, a tactical decision rather than a... Hydration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's more of a, a strategy to not get totally wrecked. But uh, yeah, it, it does seem a bit odd that you would have an American beer brand sponsoring the England team. You think we could have managed one of the English companies? Why, why aren't um, people fucking booing that? <laughs> really? Yeah, right. seriously. Anheuser-Busch is very happy about it. Yeah. We, we get to another sort of crossroads in our culture here. I mean, you've used the word breakfast beer, which isn't in everyone's vocabulary, uh, but it's very much part of German culture, especially down here in Bayern. But their breakfast beer is a 6% Weizen. <laughs> yeah, exactly, with a vice first. At least have the decency to eat something with it. Actually, and this is where Bex comes in. Bex make, like the Bex you get in Britain is, you get like Bex Fear or Bex Non-Alcoholic or like a, your standard bottle of Bex but actually when you come to germany you see that bex has seven or eight different variants you've got bex mm. ice bex orange it's got like loads of different flavors and there's one that's bex lime that's a very very good starter beer if you're, you're coming off a hangover and you maybe you're at a, a festival or maybe you're just yeah having a very fun weekend and you're starting early like that's a good place to begin is is bex lime because it's it's a little bit sugary and it's a little bit sweet but it's also a beer and it gets you sort of started talking about beers in America being quite hoppy. That's something I always complain about when I'm in Britain. This might be an opportune moment to bring in the quick list of shit beers to avoid in the UK. Although I don't think all of these are technically British beers, but they're like staples of every pub. No, they're not, but they are standards. I'm going to say the yeah. beer and you and you give me your uh, your reaction to the beer, okay? Just I'm just going to do it as a sound. That's how I'm feeling about this, okay. Well, if we're doing this interpretive dance, the audience will have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> you can explain my interpretive dance, come on. But, but for, for my benefit, you can do a little dance if you like. Uh, okay, Foster's. It's truth. <laughs> <laughs> Carling. <laughs> Coors. Oh, no, Coors Light. <laughs> Tenants. See you, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> run, run as fast as you can. That's all our options. I mean, Foster's, I didn't know how bad Foster's was until I came back the first Christmas. I came back to the UK and I had a pint of it and I realised, oh my God, this is this is utter dirt. Uh, it's really, really just disgusting beer. Like, I won't even countenance it. And like, I just can't think about it. Carling is just instant hangover in a can. It tastes like chemical yeah. runoff, basically. Coors Light, I mean, it's inoffensive. It's got a nice glass, has a nice frosted glass that you get it in. I'm firmly against this whole sort of propaganda move that beer companies are making of like fancy glasses. I want it in a pint with a handle, old school. If it works there, then I'll drink it. But it, 
I'm not going to be converted by these like Heineken frozen glasses. It's bullshit. Yes, Grandad Simon. Uh, <laughs> and finally, tenants. Now I have to be careful with tenants because one of the more uh, lucrative aspects of of companies in Scotland is the fact that they get to tie themselves to with like Scottish identity, sort of pseudo nationalism. I don't think it's quite as 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 nationalism that you would see in England, but like there's a fondness in Scotland for tenants that uh, in a way that I think there isn't for Carling in 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 no. England. I mean this with the greatest amount of respect. One of the things that was very common when when I lived in Scotland was going to the bar and going, "Can I get a pint of dishwater?" And there would be like tenants, <laughs> they'd just start pouring a tenants. Like everyone knows, I think most people, like an English person saying tenants is shit, will probably likely get a mouthful from a Scottish person. But a Scottish person saying tenants is shit, everyone will be like, "Yeah, you're right, you're right," but don't tell the English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like it's pretty shit as as beers go. Those are the the main offenders, I would say. Any pub you go into will have one of those on tap. It will normally be the cheapest beer, and it's a dangerous game to walk into a pub and just say, "I'll have a pint of beer." There's a good chance you'll get one of those. Uh, so it's definitely worth the time to peruse the menu uh, and survey your options. Just look at the taps. The average British pub has got some. Mm some some mines hidden in the taps but what, what i would say one of my favorite things to do when i get back to britain is uh you head for the ale pumps oh yes and i just try and do as many as i can just down the line because it's not again it's as much as you have a lot of beer options in in germany you don't really have ales so much uh, you have some that get quite close to it but they're always quite gassy whereas like a solid a solid pint of, of like we have uh, the Wyland Brewery in, in Newcastle. I quite like, like it's just it's really really nice. It's a really quite refreshing beer. I I was an ale convert when I was maybe seventeen. I, I stopped drinking lager and cider altogether and just went on to ales. And it is a bit of a granddad move. Like it's not got the best reputation. And you have societies like Camera uh, who try and protect ale culture. Mm. And it's all a bit tweed and pipes and like vintage cars. But it is it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason we don't get it here, apart from occasionally you get a bottle of maybe Old Speckled Hen, um, one of those sort of big boy brands, mm. and it, can't, it will come in a bottle because ale is a living, it's a, it's a creature <laughs> and it has to be cared for in a very, very careful way. I speak as a, as a cellar master yeah. uh, from Ringwood Brewery. Um, <laughs> teach us, and, teach us, Simon. Yes, I mean, it's a, it is a skill. It's something you do have to learn and yeah, it yeah. Is, it's a care element to it. And it does mean that you can't travel these beers so the pub i i worked at we were the furthest pub from the distribution of ringwood brewery and they said they would never sell beyond us mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the difficulties faced by the beer traveling that far mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it does mean that ale is is pretty much impossible to come by here yeah. but we have plenty of good alternatives here yeah, yeah. and it's very very rare that i think to myself oh i wish i could have a pint of ringwood best yeah uh, if it was offered to me, I'd snap your hand off in a second because I love that beer. But yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to make do with what's in my, my beer fridge. So ironically, the Reinheitsgebot doesn't help German consumers to choose. If all German beers are brewed to the same standard, how do you consumers know what beer to buy? Well, the most obvious and probably the most enjoyable option would be to try them all. Try, try them, them all. all. Try, try them all. all. As entertaining as that sounds, it could take a person years to try all the different variations from around Germany. Thankfully, there are shortcuts. Regional style is one. Depending on the city or region there is usually a speciality that is more freely available than the others. Take the famous Rauchbier or smoked beer of Bamberg, for example, or Kolschbier of Cologne that now has protected geographical indication status from the EU, much like Champagne. If your region doesn't happen to have a speciality, then perhaps your local football team has a preferred beer worth trying. German football fans are not only incredibly loyal to their teams, but they also have their own beer loyalties too. Driving over the unremarkable Stadtgrenzer city border between Nuremberg and Fürth, you can see a giant Gruner beer sign painted on the side of an apartment building, which acts as an advert, and also a warning that you're driving into a totally different city. Behind you are Tucker beer drinkers of FC Nuremberg, and ahead are the Gruner beer drinkers of Greuther Fürth. Outside Germany, these regional differences are almost unknown, given that most of the German beers a person will find come from the larger breweries such as Erdinger, Franziskaner or Paulana. For non-Germans, this is what German beer is, a selection of Weiss beer. What comes as a surprise to many is there are regional varieties of their own. I always feel bad when someone like presents a, 
and her doing it to me or a Paulina and they go like, oh, I've got a German beer for you. And I'm like, oh, I fucking hate Weizen. <laughs> I, I, can, I can drink a Paulina. I think they do a pretty decent range. I mean, it's, it's Munich. Yeah. Uh, so I'd prefer to drink something from Nuremberg. It's a fight against the, the raging of the machine. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not bad beer. No, it's not. I mean, it's, it's good, but I've never been a big fan of Weiss beer. I always find it tastes like bananas. I like bananas, so that's a big win for me. Yeah, of course, we've discussed your love of bananas. <laughs> like so much of German culture, regional difference is a major part of what makes German beer so enjoyable. Despite misgivings about over-regulation, variety doesn't seem to have been impacted. Only one question remains. Which beer should you choose? I'm no expert, but my advice to anyone travelling to Germany or intending to move is to find the oldest beer you can which in Germany could well be a 12th century recipe brewed by monks in a tiny monastery on top of a hill or on a tiny cove next to a major river, only accessible by rowing boat. Take a trip to that brewery, climb that hill, cross that river and try that beer. Honestly, you won't regret it. And the best thing about this is none of that's a lie. The two of the best breweries I've ever been to was one that had to climb a hill to get to the monastery and the other one had to traipse through a freaking wood and cross over in a boat to get to this tiny tiny brewery and they're both so good it was like lord of the rings but <laughs> no one died and everyone had a lovely beer so as we talked at length about beer in general i thought we'd give our personal top five this is a quick top five of german beers from nick and i uh, at decades of home in no particular order uh so oh this is very much in a particular order because the number one is number, number one, one is number one yes that's absolutely correct so our number one is the rothaus tannenzepfler it's so good i don't know how to tell you how good it is it only comes in small bottles mm. it's fun to say tannenzepfler it's fun to drink it it's just it's got the best label the graphic design is beautiful yeah it's just if you're in the uk or anywhere else and you see that like it doesn't matter if it's 20 20 dollars 30 pounds whatever it is get it it's so good so choice it is an yeah. excellent the next one's excellent one of your favorites so yeah next one is probably my favorite it's the one that i have in my fridge uh, the whole time and that's Amendorfer Hellas it was the beer that I sort of made my friendship circle with uh, it was oh. the beer that was sold in the pub uh, that I spent most yeah. of my time in so it was what I drank the most I've drunk liters of the stuff and I think only once from a glass I always drink it from the bottle which my neighbor wasn't that impressed with last night he called me a flasherkin the bottle boy or bottle kid um, but yeah, a bottle of Amendorfer is an absolute treat. Frankish gold uh, is what's written on the bo- bottle itself. I have to drink it out of a glass. I couldn't drink it out of a bottle, but I'm just not as uh, I'm not as hardcore as you are. You know, you're in a good place if you've got that. Like it's mm-hmm. standard and it's, it's always good. If you can get the Special Hellas, that's also really yeah, lovely. Nice. That's very lovely. Nice. Uh, the next one is one that Nick mentioned when he was talking about a Tegenzier. Tegenzier Hell. That is a fantastic bottle. And again, very nice little label. I don't know, you shouldn't really be attracted by labels, but I do guess when you don't know any of the beers, and there's so many of them, sometimes that's what you're going for. It's like, oh, it's got a cool label. And the last one we have is uh, is another Nuremberg one, Schanzenbräu Kehlengold. We are fans of Schanzenbräu as a whole. Like their whole range is excellent. They are a very nice little brewery. But the Kehlengold is, is particularly I, nice. A nice little treat. I don't think they make a bad beer in that entire brewery. Like every single one I'd no. buy. When I was talking about going to the shops when I was waiting for you, was that's what I bought exclusively. It was just like one yeah. of each. There's a summer one they've just released I'd seen. I, f- I, f- I yeah. follow them on various social media. The first chance I get, I'll be I'll be buying one of those when I get to, to Nuremberg. If you're in a bar and they've got all five of those beers, you're in a very, very good bar. That's your new regular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're never you, leaving. You go there, you tip the bar staff, make sure they know your name. Because <laughs> right? that's where you're going to live for the majority of your, your free time. <laughs> Hello, Freunde. That brings us to the end of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm never really sure who listens to this bit. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who knows this bit exists. I don't even think Simon knows I record this part. Which gives me an idea. If you're listening and you're on Twitter, tweet Simon on at Decades From Home and tell him that he has a lovely beard. It'll freak him out and give me a cheap laugh at the same time. Go on. You know you want to. Anyway, thanks for listening. And thanks to those of you like Marion, Margaret and Yennefer who retweeted the show last week. Much appreciated, you lovely people. 
If you'd like a shout out and our eternal gratitude, retweet the show or tag us with hashtag decades from home or lowercase. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decades from home, and you can tweet me at 40% German, and you can also email us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Oh, you're still here. I thought you'd all left. Fair enough. There's a little reward. I'll give you a nice treat. How about I do some tap dancing for you? Okay, ready? And a one, and a two. And a one, two, three, four. Hand, hand, head, head. Up, out of beret, out of beret. Big turn, grandachon. Sasson, Sasson. Slide back, step, step, step. And jazz hands. There. Consider yourself rewarded. Bye.